0: Today on The Talent Cast, a first, yes, a first, we answer a question, right? I know, it's crazy. Howdy, welcome to The Talent Cast, where we talk about the new world of talent acquisition and recruitment marketing. I am always am your host, James Ellis. Uh, I was bitten by a radioactive recruiter once and discovered I had strange new powers, and thus we are here. This podcast is not sponsored or supported by anyone whatsoever. We have instituted a one hundred percent no pitching rule. We're here to learn, teach, and discuss so we can all become better recruitment marketing thinkers. I'm not here to sell you anything. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, tell the world on LinkedIn and Twitter and any other place you're professionally social. I'm pretty sure your friends don't care. Uh, you can always review us on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate that. Uh, as always, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, if you would like me to discuss uh, your particular problem, if you know someone I should interview, reach out to me on the Twitter. It's The War for Talent. That's right, The War for Talent. Or just go to our website. We're at the Talent the talentcast.com. otherwise here we go hope you enjoy all right so uh hi and welcome to Talentcast. it is as always james ellis your host i am here seven in the morning at uh, the, the the bunker the lair um high above chicago i don't know wherever i am um I want to answer a question, and it's not a question I made up. It's a question given to me, sent to me by Stephen Fassen, F-A-A-S-S-E-N. Uh, so there's a 37% chance I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, we're not best friends. We are LinkedIn friends, so you can go ahead and measure that accordingly. Um, the the quote or the question here on LinkedIn, um, the in-mail, uh, which I treat as a text, not as an email, which is why I don't really worry about how people structure stuff, uh, James, why funny videos on Snapchat, Facebook, etc. But when it comes to posting professional videos to land a job or interview, people freak out. How do you see this? Um, let me rephrase this question. This is first off, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for asking a question. Uh, we get really nice download rates for for some for you know for some idiot in Chicago talking mostly to a microphone to random people occasionally about stuff that, let's be fair, ninety eight percent of the world doesn't care about. Um, I appreciate it. I got no promotion except you, so thank you for sharing and thank you for for putting that out there. So, let me reframe the question. Why is it okay for us in marketing, in our personal lives, in uh, every sphere of influence, whether it's, you know, you can uh, send your boss a joke, animated GIF, by the way, it's a GIF. Yes, I've entered the fray. That's where I'm placing my flag, it's a Giharji GIF. You can send weird chats or texts back and forth with friends and coworkers all day long, but the second you get into landing a job or an interview, the and, and frankly the other side of it, the the second HR gets involved to post content about a job, uh, the funny dies. Yeah, mm. it it it's true, right? I mean, first off, case in point, Exhibit A, Your Honor, Exhibit A, job descriptions. The only time you've ever laughed at a job description was inadvertently, (laughs) when someone mistyped something, when someone did not realize what those two words together meant, when no, job descriptions, aside from being usually boiled down to nothing and meaningless and boring as heck are never funny. They're never funny. Um, The only asterisk to that is if you've got a company under 100, there's a one in, let's call it 57 chance that you actually will have some I don't know character or <clears throat> personality in your in your job descriptions, but humor is a is a tough reach, and maybe that's a market that we should all be attempting. Maybe there's maybe that's an open opportunity. Maybe that's the next big disruptive space: the professional funny job description writer. <clears throat> On top of what and, and 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 I don't know. I think there's a really op- real interesting opportunity there. Um, and I'm going to talk about HR first, and then I'm going to talk about job searcher second because i you know i i I have been one once or twice in my life ha 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 um so here's my pet theory and i'm not gonna make any friends with this i'm guessing but every time i tell it to people in the profession and in in the industry and people in the know everybody either laughs or gives me that knowing oh you put your hand you know nail right in the head there um in the same way that people, people got into marketing to avoid math in the same way that, I don't know, people got into business, you know, uh, got into trading to avoid um, personal connections in the same way that, um, oh, I know, in the same way that people get into therapy because they're so, they're in the psychology and therapy because they're so well-adjusted. Wait, I mean, and by by that I mean not remotely well-adjusted. HR attracts people. Who hate change, who's terrified of change, or dislike change, or just or just flat out uncomfortable with change. They don't like new technology. They don't like new ideas. They don't like new processes. Um, <clears throat> what they love are rules. HR loves rules. So if you've got talent acquisition that stems from HR, you've got a rules driven mentality. So it is the well studied, the, the source of information, it's a source of, of philosophy that drives that department, HR. I mean, how many of us have picked up an HR manual? And let's be fair, there should be... next to, And there's a million rules, 99% of which do not apply to us. And frankly, there should be someone's name next to it who did something stupid once and therefore forced HR to write a stupid rule saying, don't do that stupid thing. And, you know, funny story, uh, many, many years ago, way back when the internet was young, I was working at a very large telecom company doing customer support. And there's a guy five cubicles down who is definitely surfing porn and tried to pretend that no one could see him. He would like squeeze the browser real small. He would click the link, then go to the next thing and squeeze the browser real small. And this is like 1990, let's call it eight, nine. So we're not talking, um, you know, this is real simple stuff. Um, He'd shrink the browser and look around. He'd look back and forth, you know, he'd be very surreptitious, very suspicious and very obviously doing something wrong. And then he would open it up and then he would look in the thing and he would click the link and he'd go close it and do the next thing. And it, you know, know, initially we just kind of looked at each other and went, what? The, what does he really what how is that okay how does he think that's okay and eventually someone eventually told the boss and the d- d- boss pulled him aside and said dude you can't do that you know that's wrong and the guy's excuse was well no one told me I couldn't and thus HR went oh well we can fix that we're gonna stick a rule in a handbook and make everybody sign it and therefore problem solved and you're like no this guy has problems <laughs> this guy thought it was okay to porn surf at work this guy should not have made it past the interview stage um, handbook or not and let's be fair all of HR handbooks are just you know lists of people who have done something stupid that HR had to say well we have to make sure legally no one does that again or at least we have to indemnify ourselves against people saying well I didn't know I couldn't jump off a bridge or something dumb um, and then hence the HR manual now HR manual not fun it's just rules it's just fun not fun rules um i liken hr to the ncaa rule people it's like okay they're here to make rules and they're here to find exactly how you did something wrong they're not here to generate performance they're not here to generate uh you know and 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 i'm i'm painting with a broad brush i know plenty of hr professionals who are all about performance and all about collaboration all about culture and driving uh, driving uh the right environment and not about rules but hr stems from rules right and rules just aren't funny They just aren't funny and frankly humor gets into those things where if you try and be funny and someone doesn't quite let's say it's someone from Scotland and they hear that what you said is funny and they don't read it that way I mean let's be fair the the Brits and I have a couple Brits friends they say some stuff that I'm appalled at I'm just appalled there are words they use I'm like I could not even say that in a closed door room with someone I'm close with that's that's rude and it's just what you say i'm not going to get into what that is but you can go watch i don't know any good british uh gangster flick good language there it's just it's appalling i mean i'm not saying it but that's okay for them and for us it's 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 terrifying can't even say that and i'm sure the words that we say they're like oh my god you say that and in, in an accent an appropriate accent um language is tough and, and and you know humor doesn't bridge cultures as easily as you'd want it to so if you're rule driven, if you're all about let's not get anybody into trouble, humor is the last thing you get into. Um, now, on the other hand, if your HR is driven by COO and is driven by operations, there's plenty of room for humor. There's plenty of room for collaboration and growth. Alternatively, if your I'm sorry, if your talent acquisition team is driven by marketing, which it certainly could be, or operations, you've got a lot of opportunity to do interesting things. You're not quite so driven by rules. Um, and that's fantastic, and I wish, I hope that's the case for you. I hope that's the opportunity. I just think that talent acquisition is a kind of marketing, and frankly, if you don't embrace that, you're talking to the wrong person, listening to the wrong podcast. Um, you have to embrace that, and part of embracing that, marketing doesn't know about rules. No one told you. Go watch Art and Copy, the do- documentary Art and Copy. It's on Netflix, I think. It's fantastic. I watch it like once a year. It's and you've got people like George Lois who effectively, well, first he drops the F bomb every other word. God bless him, and then he. Uh, but he's a genius. He's there to break every rule possible. He's there to get his message in front of the right people at the right time, the right way, in a way that they're gonna go, huh, that's remarkable and it's gonna stick. That's all he cares about. He's not interested in the art per se. He's not interested in anything else. It's just it's pure marketing. And marketing should have no boundaries. It should have no rules. I mean, obviously other than the ones where we put on ourselves, it should be how do we drive Belief change or behavior change. What is the way we're gonna get that person to do the thing we want them to do? That's the end of the sentence. That's the end of the rules. Everything else is limited and, constri- and constrained by resources and, 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 and ability, but after that, there's no rules. So to get back into it and to, to try not to make too many HR professionals mad, and I probably have, by telling them they're all rule-based driven, boring people, and they're not, but many of them can be. Um, maybe, uh, on the clock anyway, I'm sure off the clock, they're wonderful. Um, That's why talent acquisition isn't funny is because it's run by the wrong people. If it's run by HR, you can't be funny. You're not allowed. You're going to check the boxes and, and do the thing. And I think the HR influence in a talent acquisition drives a lot of that thinking. When it's marketing who drives the thinking, there's an opportunity to be a little more bold, but I don't see a lot of humor. Now let's talk about the other side of the coin. Let's talk about the job searchers. Now I'm, you know, I I think I wrote a blog post once. I, you know, what I love and hate about resumes. Let's be straight. The job search process is the dumbest, weirdest, strangest Kabuki theater ever. I'm gonna produce produce a one to two page piece of paper that I control. I write every character. I write every. I pick the color. I pick the font. I pick the design. I pick the layout. I pick the this. I pick the that. I lay it out. It is mine. It is a. It is a. Perfect construct of my professional self, and those are some words I didn't think I'd ever have to say and put together in a sentence. Um, it's you know it, it it's controlled. I'm going to send it to you in a PDF. You can't edit it. You can't you know squeeze the margins around and screw up the alignment. And you can't you know say oh I don't have the font and it looks funny. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this to you either in a paper in a I don't write paper or a PDF form that is much as might as well be paper or electronic. I control that. And that is the thing I'm going to present to you. And from that information that you get from many, 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 many people, I presume, you're going to decide who are the top five people I want to talk to or top ten people I want to talk to. Now, you talk to them, right? Now, your job, as you know, as the recruiter or as the hiring manager, is to figure out how to peek behind the curtain of what the resume is. The resume says well, nothing but glowing things, shockingly. It never says that oh by the way, that person's an alcoholic or that person has been fired 17 times or that person can't be around, you know, can't be uh, can't be in a team. He's pure individual drive. He's you know, he he pl- plays poorly with others or she doesn't, you know, ever show up to work before 7 or before 10 or who knows. No one ever puts that the dirty laundry in the resume. You'd be an idiot to do that you put dirty laundry, that's an opportunity for HR to say, oh, I'm going to pull that out, right? Because the resume is not about getting the job. The resume is there to say, just get me the phone call. Let me charm them in the phone call. Let me tell my story in the phone call. The resume doesn't get me hired. The resume gets me the phone call. Anything in there that's negative may make that hiring manager say, I don't think I'm going to waste 10 minutes on this phone call or 30 minutes on this phone call, and you get tossed aside, and that's that. So it's in their best interest to provide the perfect, rosiest, coloredest, glassiest, version of their own truth to you as humanly possible. Now, there occasionally, people try and get funny with that. And we're talk, we'll go talk about Kabuki theater in a minute. Um, and, and having reviewed a couple thousand resumes in the last two years, um, when they get funny, I get annoyed. I'm a funny person, I like to think. Uh, I, <laughs> I like to think. Hopefully, I haven't gotten so grumpy in my old age that I can't laugh at things. But I had a kid, and I'm assuming it was a kid, type that is somewhere deep in his resume he it was almost hidden it was almost like he knew he was doing something stupid but he still couldn't help himself he put in that he was times man of the year 2005. now i looked at that and went what are you and then it took me about 10 seconds to go wait Was that the year Time Magazine put a little shiny reflective thing on its cover and said the man of the year is you and it was all about social media and personalization and and the internet and that you were driving everything and the concept of, you know, the me concept was driving all this stuff and looked it up. Sure enough, that's exactly what it was. This guy said, because Time Magazine said you are the man of the year, person of the year, um, he was gonna put that as a kudo on his resume. He had a couple other jokes in his cover letter, which, which, which set me off and set me, made me go, wait a second, what's going on? But you're like looking at that going, oh. I think what annoyed me about that is that, look, I'm realistically trying to hire somebody. I'm realistically trying to find somebody, somebody good, somebody interesting, somebody I might be able to work with, someone I can help grow, someone who can help my team grow. And you've decided to waste two lines of your precious resume space with bull. I mean, it's cute, but it's bull. You know? It's, it's like the person who doesn't quite know how to read the room and walks into the very, pre- you know, it's a tense room and they decide to crack a joke. Not to break the tension because they never noticed the tension was there or that everybody's furiously trying to fix something before it goes out the door. Or, you know, you know how it goes. You read the room they just, they crack the joke at the absolute wrong time and everybody looks and like, just die already. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so that's how it felt. So I think that there's a lot of incentive to not being funny on a resume. You know, we talk about we want personality. We talk about when we hire, we want interesting characters. But it's such a particular needle to thread to say, okay, I'm going to be funny and personable, but not so much that I'm misreading the room. In a room I don't, I'm not in, in a room I'm not able actually get the sense of what it is. I have to write this days and weeks ahead of time, and you know, and I don't know when you're going to read it. I don't know if you read this the second I send it, but. You know, hopefully it's clever enough. And you know, I watch. We we just watched the second half of Mad Men, very recently. And Ginsburg, who is crazy and funny and 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 audacious and weird and probably one of the smartest people in that whole show, he goes in full guns blazing, weird, funny, goofy, because in his mind he thinks he can charm his way into it. But on paper, you can't charm like that. It's it's almost impossible. We say we want interesting people, we say we want funny people, we say we want clever people who challenge us, but let's be fair, when those people present themselves in a resume format, you want to throw it in the trash. So there's incentive on that side of the table, you know, the kabuki theater that is, okay, I'm only going to show you the nicest, bestest part of me, and you're going to try and peek behind the curtain, and while you're trying to peek behind the curtain, I'm going to try and pivot and swivel enough to keep you from peeking too far behind the curtain. Yes, you're going to see something, but hopefully you don't see the really dirty stuff. Um, That game doesn't lend itself to humor. If you do it in person, it can lend itself to charm, but not humor. So I think there's a lot of reasons driving why talent acquisition and resumes and the job hunt process is not funny, not even a little. So there's my reason why, Stephen Fasson, why it's not funny. Um, That doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean that's the way to go. And I think there's a real opportunity for us to say, look, why can't we be funny? And frankly, I would expand the concept of funny beyond funny, beyond laughter, beyond joviality. Uh, I would say, why not be interesting, right? You know, HR and talent acquisition, or talent acquisition if it's run by HR, is very boring. It's very rules-driven. Why can't it be more interesting? You know, uh, does everybody remember Fast Company's article came out about, almost 20 years ago really that long ago maybe maybe 18 years ago mm, yeah thereabouts no no i'm lying i'm lying to you i'm trying to i'm now now i'm getting old. my memory's gone. got to do the ginkgo no it was probably about 2003 2004 when the cover of fast company was why does everybody hate hr right i actually had my hr director at the time had a copy on his desk for six months and it was kind of just there it wasn't like strewn in front of everybody he wasn't like Lording it over people or, or pushing it on people and saying why don't you like HR? He wasn't. He was the sweetest guy, nicest, very smart, very capable guy. Loved him, um, but he was HR through and through. He was a he was a, he was a rules guy. He was from accounting. <laughs> he really liked knowing the rules and abiding by the rules, and that's really what drove him every day. And the concept that someone possibly like me possibly exactly like me was looking at rules going where's the edge of that how do i push that where's the where's the where's the wiggle room where's the loophole how do i push the boundaries in the envelope of that that which is really all i ever do because i there's something wrong with me clearly um he and i should not have gotten along and we actually came at the, these things with completely different perspectives and processes we got along great um so, like i said super great guy uh hey gary how you doing um <laughs> but he had the copy on his desk for months and i almost wanted to say i I, in my mind and i'm projecting onto gary again hey gary um that it was like he didn't quite get it he goes well well, gosh if fast company's saying it there's got to be something to it and this is before fast company was nothing but um famous people the, the the parade magazine of 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 business which it's unfortunately become i miss the tom peters days i really really do um but this was at a time when everybody looked at Fast Company and what Fast Company was doing was effectively setting a lot of the agenda for the thinking about what we were doing from the business standpoint, especially people who were trying to think about the business and not just doing the business. Um and he really kind of looked at it and just saw, I don't get why people don't like HR. And there was a, it was a solid argument. You know, it was a lot of, hey, we just want to do what we want to do. And HR is about rules and they don't always, you're applying rules that might be 15, 20 years old that may not apply anymore to the situation and you're just blindly applying the rules and that can be a pain and no one likes that and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it was a very long article. Anyway, so why can't talent acquisition be interesting? And the truth is no one is going to say no. Yeah, I said it. No one's going to say no. I mean your boss might be a little unthrilled with it, but really you have as a recruiter or you have recruitment as marketer, a recruitment marketer an opportunity to be interesting. Is there any better way to show off your position, your brand, your, uh, uh, your sector of influence, your core motivating mission in life than to be interesting? I, I think I may have actually said this in the podcast. My favorite mission com- company mission is uh, Pepsi's. Um, you know, and I think mission statements in general, a bunch of hogwash and something you put on a, a, a boilerplate of something and immediately forget or ignore, or it was never meant to be anything interesting anyway. It was always just, you know, hey, let's feel good about ourselves by saying we're the best in class and we're going to do this thing better than anybody else. And we're customer driven. And, you know, it, it's a, there's a weird Al Yankovic song called mission, mission statement. And it's all like the most generic. It's very funny. Um, anywho, uh, pepsi's mission statement is beat coke and i went well there's a mission statement that got interesting in a hurry they're they know what they're about they know what they're doing it's like okay this is a two-person race they're number two so (laughs) number three is like way behind you know before water got into the game and and changed the the game at all but their mission was to beat coke and you got to say wow get it. I, I'm there. I can see that. I can see what you're saying. I, 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 there, there's no wiggle room there, right? Um, there's no reason why talent acquisition can't be interesting all the time. As a recruiter, you have so much unfettered direct access to people, right? And I think back to 20 years ago, 25 years ago, When oh great I'm going back to Tom Peters again. There's a book and there's a big orange Tom Peters book in front of me on my bookshelf, and I kind of stare at it while I talk. Maybe that's why I talk about Tom Peters all the time. Maybe I need to change books. It's right next to a Seth Godin book, and uh, oh oh, Stephen Bungay's Art of Action. By the way, everyone should read Art of Action. Anyway, I tell you this was this this is this is the coffee hasn't kicked in yet if you can believe it. there was a time 2025 20, years ago when what Tom Peters was talking about and this was his big kind of thought and his big kind of push was this idea that look you we pretend that the smartest people are at the top of the pyramid. We pretend that the farther up in the hierarchy you get the smarter and more able to think about and understand client problems they are. That at the very top at the CEO and the C-suite are the people who understand the big picture and understand it deeply and passionately and understand the meat of it. And as you go down the pyramid or down the hierarchy, people don't quite get you. They're not as smart or not as capable or don't know or do not have been exposed to this information. You get all the way down to the front lines and, and this is, again, this is a while ago, and your front lines people were people you just treated like garbage because they were cogs in machine that you built. You replaced them as they quit because you gave them no reason to stay. And they were the ones who touched the client every single day. You could have the best strategy in the world. You could have the best mission statement in the world. You could have the best intentions in the world to treat to and create the greatest customer service experience in the world. But if the person running the cash register doesn't believe it, guess what? It is effectively worthless, right? Right? Look, Starbucks has spent the last 15 years becoming... Nothing but customer service, and there was a time at which they kind of dipped and they said, oh, we're we're all about making the coffee. It's like, no, no, the coffee boom has passed you. You are good coffee, but not great coffee. You are fast coffee. You are decent coffee. You are service, you are speed, you are. Starbucks, right? You know, no, I mean, Starbucks still tries to keep its toe in it by trying to, not trying to, they do a good job by you know doing interesting beans on occasion and do. I actually haven't had the nitrous nitrous coffee. I'm cl- I'm curious about that. But really, they started the coffee revolution by it being the best coffee, and then all these little micro, uh, not brewers, micro uh, micro. um Grinders and micro roasters have overtaken them because they can treat coffee as a as a, not as a commodity but as a a, a, a um, artisan product. Right? They get to do that. So co- Starbucks can't stand in the "we make the greatest coffee in the world" game anymore. Because I can tell you, and I'm in Chicago, so I'm going to start with Intelligentsia and Dollop and Botruss and Chicago, uh, coffee roaster, uh, coffee and tea exchange, which is literally around the corner from my house. Uh, these are people who are making and roasting their own coffee, so they really kind of beat Starbucks in the freshness department and their beans department. So Starbucks has to be about speed and convenience and support and a, and a, and a perpetually high quality of service and high quality of product. And you know, not quite the McDonald's of coffee because that implies that it's cheap or not great coffee but more of a, look, it's consistent. You know that you're getting a decent cup of coffee if you're in an airport in Dallas, or you're in a Starbucks in a mall, or you're at a Target, or you're at a standalone store. You know the coffee's gonna be solid. But for the long, for a while, Starbucks was all about customer service. I mean, way back in the day, for those of you who remember, they've got something wrong or you waited more than two minutes for your drink. You've got a little slip of paper that says, hey, we are really sorry. Here's a free, you know, this is good for one free cup of coffee or one free drink later on. They were dedicated to making you feel the love, right? The second they stopped making you feel the love, all the intentions, all the pretty furniture and the, the, the aesthetic and the coffee, that kills You know, that gets killed by the one grumpy guy or girl at the counter who can't tell the difference between, you know, Pike and Bold. By the way, huge difference between Pike and Bold, for those of you who don't drink coffee. Um, The person on the front line owns, and I mean owns, all capital letters, that experience. So if you've ever walked into a Target or you've walked into a, a I don't know a Gap or you know any big box store they are generally populated by people who are doing the job they're supposed to do and they're doing trying to do it as diligently and, I, and I'm going to give them every uh expectation every that they're trying to do the greatest job but you get a grumpy person and you get a person thrilled and skipping down the halls doing their job you've seen them we've all seen them we can't believe it when we see the skipping person and we can't believe it when we see the grumpy person that destroys or creates the experience. You know, you're going into Lowe's or a Home Depot or a oh well, there's a Builder Square anymore or I don't know, pick a store. That experience, the person you're standing in front of running the cashier, cash register, answering your question, directing you to the right aisle. That's the experience. I don't care what the aisles are like, I don't care what the logos like, I don't care about how much money was spent designing that store. The person was the experience. And Tom Peters was the, one of the first people to say these are the people who own your experience. It's not your brand managers. It's not your brand team. It's not your marketing team. It's not your C suite. It's the person at the front line. You need to pay attention. And they have to love what they do. And that's where the whole kind of like, let's find people who are passionate about coffee, you know. That's, that's what was driving Starbucks. Let's get people who want to be baristas. That's why, they're not call, that's why they're called baristas and not cash register jockeys, right? They're not customer support representatives. They're not uh, associates. They're baristas. They're there to make the coffee. They're all about the coffee. It's all about creating the coffee experience for that person. Take that idea that the front lines has the most control and power over the whole process, over that experience, and drive it to recruiting. As a recruiter, you're that person. So if I'm looking for a job and I apply to a job or I'm kind of poking around LinkedIn and I kind of figure out who the recruiter is so I can ask a quick question and kind of go, so is this job like this or is this job like this? You have at that moment a one-to-one connection with me. You can say anything. You can say this company is the worst thing. I would run away screaming. I hate this company. I can't can't wait to leave. Um, they club baby seals. Um, you know they 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 fund horrible things. Blah, blah blah You could say anything. You could have me running so fast I'll leave skid marks on LinkedIn's homepage. Okay, I will just be nothing but a blur. I'll be a James shaped hole in the wall like a cartoon. Or you could do it all different. And I'm not saying be professional or not be professional. I'm saying you can be interesting. You can anticipate. You can be helpful. You can drive the relationship. I don't need you to be a clown. I don't need there to be a gimmick, but you can still be interesting. You can ask an interesting question. You know, look at all the... I just finished reading, 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 reading. reading, Hold on, coffee break. My mouth needs the coffee. Ah, there you go. Much better. I just finished reading... Tim Ferriss' uh, Tools for Titans, which came out last week. So it was one of those books you just could – it was the Pringles of books. You just kept crunching on the – oh, that's a good one. I'm going to get another one. Okay, that's a good one. I'm going to get another one. That's a good one. I'm going to get another one. That's a good – and they're tiny, tiny bite-sized things, and you just go through it. Really positive. Really love it, but I'm a Tim fan for way back, so there you go. No surprise. Um, I forgot. Totally forgot what I was talking Oh, yeah. So you don't have to be – you know there's a lot of talking there's a lot of talking about what kind of questions elicit different responses you know if you ask the same questions over and over again if you ask the um well tell me about your biggest weakness question and i swear if you are doing that and i find out about it i'm going to unsubscribe you from this podcast immediately don't do that don't ever do that It's the dumbest question ever um but it's about how do you try and peek behind the curtain? How do you ask a question that's curious or unusual or forces people to think a little differently about the answer? They're not going to give you the pat answer. And Tim was talking to Cal Fussman, who does a lot of interviews for Esquire, um, and, and literally his, his podcast was like three hours just telling stories and you just didn't, you could not turn it off, um, unlike this one. <laughs> um you know they there they are um, entrepreneurs and investors trying to figure out what's special about this company or idea or person that's there's so much great stuff in there for you to look at and use in your in your quest to find amazing candidates no one's going to tell you the so you are being tasked with finding the next cool person interesting person needle moving person impactful player there's no, no one's going to tell you how no one's going to tell you okay you answer the ask them these four questions and then ask them, uh, you know, this, and then send them to this, and then do this. And there's a there's no, the, that's what an automated tracking system does. That's what a career site does. What they want you to do is figure out how to find that person and attract them and get them interested and make sure and validate that they're interesting too, that they're a good fit. You need better questions. So you have the opportunity to be interesting. If it makes it means that you get funny, go for it. But and I've met some goofy recruiters, no question. And sometimes that humor works, and sometimes you're like, okay, um, but be interesting. Go beyond the boring. Um, you know, back to Steven's initial point. You know, you don't have to make goofy Snapchat videos, and and you don't have to participate in the mannequin challenge, and you don't have to be um, Mr. Fun-loving Partied person to be interesting or funny or clever or whimsical or off the cuff or. Any of those words, you can be interesting. And you can do it by asking good questions because you have a direct line of sight into that candidate that no one else does. And when you show yourself to be the person who can elicit interesting responses that get to the heart of who that person is, that you're throwing bad candidates out, even though on paper they look like gems, and you're like, no, no, this person isn't about this, they're about that. And they're going to look at you and go, how do you know that? And he goes, I asked different questions. And here, let me show you some of the questions I asked when you become the person who's consistently bringing them great candidates, even if they're unusual candidates, I can't think of a faster way up the ladder i can't think of a faster way to get the bonus or promotion or whatever it is from recruiters that you're looking for that's how you do it that's what you're tasked for you know that's what you're tasked with go find people that i can't find normally and frankly the boring people are going to apply to your ats (laughs) you know if you're looking for a purple squirrel if you're looking for the unicorn if you're looking for whatever you want to call it they're not going to your ats because if they did they wouldn't be that person you're there to find interesting so you have to be interesting and I think it starts by asking interesting questions. So I've gone a little long, let me check the clock, oh, half an hour, that's not too bad. Um, but so not too bad. So I apologize this came in late, I actually recorded a different episode 7 and I threw it away, if you can believe it, because I didn't think I really said it the way I wanted to say it. It's a completely different topic actually. Um, it was it was all about how please for the love of all that whatever is don't automate your relationships in recruiting don't so I, I i've i've literally tried to write that blog post three different times and i've gotten four or five paragraphs in and i toss it or it just sits and fallow and dies and withers like fruit on a vine um i don't know there's something there i can't find it so i'll get to it eventually so next week i want to try and do a big podcast uh, it's end of the year time. Uh, we're in the middle of Q4, so we're doing craziness and trying to make things happen. And I'm sure your world is a little crazy. If you're a recruiter, recruit marketer, maybe this is your quiet period where no one's really applying for anything. So maybe you get to kind of hunker down and look at how do I do things better? Or what processes can I do? Or what, let's plan our 2017 strategy and resources and whatnot. Uh, so I'm going to talk about big stuff like that. So hopefully that will get exciting and fun. And it will be literally next week. So. Uh, sorry for the delay on this one. Uh, traveling and throwing away a podcast is not a combo that mixes. So I know that consistency is key in this little game here we're playing. But uh, I apologize. We'll get better next time. So with that, I am, as ever, your host, James Ellis. Uh, you want to talk to me? You want to complain about me? You want to tell me that I need more coffee or less coffee? You can find me on the Twitter at the War for Talent. Um, thank you for those of you who actually ping me. Um, or you can just go to our website, the thetalentcast.com and see all the different ways you can get in contact with me again and tell me I'm wrong. I want to thank, let's pull it up, Stephen Fasten, F-A-A-S-S-E-N, Stephen P-H, uh, for asking a question. Gosh, that was really sweet of you. I I, I I put that out first episode. Hey, if you have a question, let's talk about it. I, you know, had a, didn't think it was going to happen. So I'm really thrilled. Thank you very much, Stephen. I appreciate that. I appreciate you kind of participating anybody else has a question I am all ears and this is what you get Uh, if you have a more specific question we can get into the needs the the weeds the nitty gritty about what it is and what you could do or ways to think about or ways to approach a problem or I don't know ways to talk to your boss about getting something done who knows whatever you want to talk about I'm here for you so with that thanks for listening Um, share this with I don't know anybody um we're getting good results and i appreciate you guys sharing this hopefully that just means i'm doing doing something right uh we'll just keep going so uh with that i'll take off thanks very much and uh have a great rest of your week or weekend the world's best known investor and wall street expert warren buffett once said wall street is the only place that people ride to in a rolls royce to get advice from those who take the subway